1: absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated wow did we just write an ad yes
0: Bombas big comfort for everyone go to Bombas dot com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase
2: you are listening to Missed Apex Podcast we live F1 Welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is To Whom It May Concern. La 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 la, I can't hear you. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. That show title was provided by Bart Kevelum on Twitter. And I'm joined by my co-host, Matt. Do-rumpets. Hello, Matt.
3: Hey there, Spanners good to be with you this after evening morning whatever it is wherever you're listening
2: wherever you're joining us from around the world welcome i i really enjoyed my sunday today matt it was a proper old school race i i always feel like expectation management is key as a viewer of the barcelona grand prix if you know what you're in for i think you can just sit back relax and enjoy it
3: yeah well if you look at Barcelona is being a race that you know is going to be tense, but there may not be a huge amount of on-track action, then it just absolutely delivered today. Well, and there di- was more on-track action than I thought there was going to
2: be. Well, it's a different kind of action, isn't it? There's the action between teams trying to figure out what the other team is doing, making the best of their resources. Overtaking might have been a little bit um, a little bit wanting, but unlike, say, somewhere like Monaco, strategy really did play a part today, massively.
3: Oh, yeah, strategy and strategy that stretch back to the beginning of the weekend. I'm not just strategy that happened on race day, as we shall discover.
2: I was trying to explain to my my boy, my 10-year-old, who's only really known an F1 that's been pretty exciting. Like last year was the first season that he really sparked joy whilst watching F1. And nearly every race was just this dramatic thriller with safety cars, a billion overtakes. And today he did enjoy the race today. But I was explaining to him, I said, when I was growing up, son, every race was basically like this, but not as good. Every race was like this, but without the amazing strategy element. Or if, if that strategy element was there, it wasn't made known to the viewing public like me.
3: Yeah, well, you had more complex strategy because there was refueling on and off and just a whole host of different rules that made it more difficult. And then you also had coverage that, didn't
2: really promote uh, the more technical aspects of the sport. And when Martin Brundle started commentating, that's when it started to change. And I think Martin Brundle takes a lot of credit for your average F1 viewer understanding a lot of the strategy and what's happening. But hey, it was a fantastic race. There were periods where there was nothing happening. And sometimes you just have to sit back and go, do you know what? This is pretty cool. I'm just watching really cool cars on TV, waiting and seeing how something develops.
3: Yeah, and you just cannot get over how tight the margins are at the top right now. And it's leading us to just the most excellent of all
2: seasons, I would have to say. And hey, in the championship, it's 3-1 Lewis Hamilton. It's not over, guys, not by a long way. Red Bull turned up to the 2021 season with a swagger. I love that. They still have it. They're still in it but I feel like today they've kind of woken up to a bit of a threat because as much as Nico said Max is now realizing how good Lewis really is in a title fight, maybe today Red Bull are realizing how good Mercedes are in a title fight.
3: Yep, it comes down to those most minuscule of margins, the tiniest of details, and Mercedes has gotten it all ironed out. Red Bull is just rediscovering that final challenge
2: we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first we're also joined on the panel by kyle edgy power how's it going there kyle
4: Very well, thanks, Banners. I thought that was four out of four for Formula One 2021 of exciting races and very much looking
2: forward to explaining why that was not a boring race. So there's a little bit of a, like I said, a little bit of expectation management needed. I I think if you were a Drive to Survive incumbent fan from, say, the 2019 Drive to Survive and then you watch the whole 2020 series... You might have found Barcelona twenty twenty one maybe hard to understand, and why that was, why it was good, and why it was, why it was exciting.
4: Yeah, the, there is intrigue. It was more of a strategical battle, but they're the ones I kind of enjoy. It's not going to be explosions every five minutes, as you said before. It's a there was intrigue in different ways, and that's what's brilliant about Formula One. It can serve up drama
2: in many different ways. And we're also joined by Nordschleifer's two time class champion Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad?
5: Hey, so Spanners, I've got a bone to pick with you because I agreed to do the the post-Spain race um, review thinking I could just phone it in and I wouldn't really have to pay attention. But I found myself having to really engage with
2: the race because it was decent. And a lot of times around Barcelona, we're robbed of like actual decent racing, but there was several top flight clashes also in the midfield too, where we can really sit and break down and examine racecraft.
5: Yeah, exactly. Strategic fights and on-track battles. It was a really good Spanish Grand Prix.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, look, let's get some general impressions of the race here. Barcelona is a track traditionally that we we kind of, we love and we hate. So, I mean, Kyle, it is a driver's track. It's flowing. You hardly get a chance to rest if you've done it in a sim. You you realise that you've got one corner out of the way, another corner is there straight away. But we also hate it because it does limit the opportunities for just... Passing In slower cars around Barcelona, you do see them going side by side around Turn 1, Turn 4, Turn 10. But with F1, it's just we're a little too fast, I think. Yes,
4: yes. Uh, it's a driver's track, but more predominantly um, a chassis and a car track. So the car's a massive differentiator here. Uh, we saw some fantastic racing in the F3. Lots of um, drama and side by side. And as you say, smaller cars, less dependent on the aero Um, this is why the teams love it and they and they test there all all the time you know in the days gone where there was no testing ban you know there'd probably be a team there most other weeks testing because it tests all aspects of the car but yeah i was feeling a bit sorry for those poor drivers necks because uh relentless turn three completely flat not even a hint of a lift pulling about three and a half to four and a half lateral
2: g every lap that's brutal Uh, And Brad, we were talking about Turn 10, I think, we were talking about it on the iRacing podcast, I think. Um, It's a bit of a dud, I think, from an F1 single-seater point of view. I I think I saw one challenge all race into Turn 10, and that's normally a a kind of a big overtaking zone.
5: Yeah, the straight preceding it isn't actually that long. So I think it was Lewis that said at some point during the weekend that it's not the best overtaking point, even in its its previous uh, profile. But yeah, was was the reason behind that, that it was better for MotoGP and for Formula One, they thought maybe it would allow you to follow more closely through the final sector, but it, it didn't really achieve that, I don't think. But I also don't think we lost a great amount because I don't, I don't think we have a massive amount of overtaking there normally.
2: No, and there are lots of series, Brad, where there is that one big overtaking point. It's just that from a viewer point of view it's it's not thrilling and i don't know whether the tv direction is necessarily set up to say we didn't have a lot of onboards of perez chasing down ricardo to see how close he could get through sector 3 then down the home straight and that is the driver point of view you would see in those kind of scenarios
5: yeah uh, i i actually don't think i saw more than a handful of onboards through through that sector whilst i was watching this weekend um but yeah, I think Kyle's mentioned it previously. There might be some other changes you could do to this track that would help modern Formula One, but that, that reprofiling that corner probably isn't it. Well, I, I did
3: want to briefly mention it added an element of intrigue because for the first time in my memory, we were seeing the right rear tire develop blisters, which, which I'd never seen before. And I guess you could partly br- blame the aero regulations but also, turn ten turned into a much different kind of attraction zone for the cars, and so it was a different kind of a test that way. And in fact, I recall Lewis Hamilton asking for an unusual front wing adjustment on the way to his first pit stop as a direct
5: result of that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, Matt, because that is the one aspect that that really changed. It it didn't it didn't make uh, a better racing um, track. It didn't make Barcelona a better track for racing at that point, but it made the tire. Um, get stressed in a different way because it's a, a high-speed traction zone where you're, you've are you got a lot of lock-on whilst you're applying a lot of power rather than what it used to be, which was a low-speed direction change where you kind of get most of your rotation done going slowly and then drive off the corner in a straight line. So, yeah, the, you saw some of the blistering on the right rear tyre of Lewis.
4: Yeah, so on Turn 10, I'm still a bit myth as to why they actually did it because it's it's a bit like if you have a shop and you're like, right, we've got too many apples we need more bananas. Oh, well, here's a, here's some pears. It's it's kind of in the middle. I don't really understand why they why they did it. But as you say, it did add slight different aspects of how the tyres were, but didn't actually improve the racing. I say, don't faff around with changing corners that are already there and won't have an impact
2: in the race, and get rid of the last chicane. I don't always understand your analogies, Kyle, if I'm entirely honest. Bananas, pears, okay, fine. One thing I didn't actually notice about the reprofiling was I thought... That they had simply used the old runoff track, whereas actually in reality they'd they'd, they'd cut left a little bit, so they've actually they narrowed that entry also. So it wasn't like it just stayed out wide for longer. They cut in early and then went into what was the old runoff area.
4: Yeah, it, it was weird. It wasn't a. That's the thing. They've kind of replicated what they had before anyway. So they've kind of gone, but not quite exactly the same. Hence, I don't understand yeah.
2: the logic in it. Do something completely different. Or don't do it at all. It wasn't a change made for F1, and F1's the best. And that's the only thing that should ever be considered. Case closed. Shut up, motorbike people. Uh, but, Matt, one thing I think we need to address, we, we've we received some criticism so far on our race reviews for focusing too much on the front battles. And that criticism actually came after Imola. And I went, OK, good point. And then uh, Portimao, I was like, OK, we must focus more on the midfield battles. Well, they're not on telly. <laughs> So what can we do?
3: Well, I mean, you watch the timing sheets. You I see do, yeah. the battles develop. But the reality is, aside from, was it 2017 or 18? N- name me a year when the battle at the front wasn't between two Mercedes. You know, you have to go back to, oh, you know, pre-2014 easily. We have two of the closest matched cars, two of the very best drivers in the sport, and they're less than a race distance points apart right now a single failure on mercedes a single crash with max winning the race and the whole thing has changed we haven't seen it this close at the front in ages and it is delightful so So, uh,
2: yeah i mean the beginning of 2017 2018 ferrari were putting up a challenge a little bit in 2019 not so much but actually i I was thinking back when's the last time we really saw a good focus on the midfield battles and it might have been 2013 when Sebastian Vettel was just disappearing off at the front, we suddenly got loads of focus on Hulkenberg versus Hamilton in the midfield, et cetera.
3: Yeah. And, and and I think that's fair because the front of the race, the championship winners, that's, they sell your tickets on Sunday. They sell your cars on Monday. That's where the TV is going to be. That's where, that's where most fans will probably focus unless they're fans of specific teams or drivers. So if you were a, McLaren fan from the Lewis Hamilton days and before the Kimi Raikkonen days, I guess. And you have continued to follow the team. You want to see them on TV. But if you're a brand new fan and you've just walked in the door, you're like, oh my gosh, look at how close it is at the front. Who's going to win? Is it going to be Lewis? Is it going to be Max? I immediately have a favorite and I want to watch that. (laughs) So I'm willing to cut them some slack there. That said, the midfield is absolutely delivering some action and especially late in the race.
2: Yeah. Okay. So normally we would go to qualifying now. I think we'll co- we'll uh, cover most of our qualifying points throughout the race, unless there's anything stand out you want to cover, Matt.
3: Uh, the only thing I wanted to address, and and it, we will talk about it later, probably, uh, is affecting the race. Was is that it? Turns out Perez had some kind of shoulder uh, issue yeah. during qualifying. So I know people are keen to make the comparison that you know was it a good choice to move Albon and bring him in. But I don't think uh, Saturday's qualifying can count because he had some sort of um, malady that prevented him from being at 100%. Uh,
2: okay, so obviously, well, maybe we, we let that fly the first time. If that happens all throughout the season, then that becomes an issue. We'll take that into account. But the bottom line is, as I think we'll talk about throughout the races, Perez wasn't there to have the influence that he was hired to do for whatever reason. Exacerbated on a track where passing is hard. And also... I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying normally if you fluff your quali lap you get another stab. Here the here the, the conditions went out, so no one really got a second stab. Had the conditions got better, you'd have completely got away with fluffing your first lap. But really you shouldn't fluff that lap. Every driver in the top 10 will at some point fluff a Q3 lap. I think that's the the only sort of note I wanted to make of, on that apart from oh no, oh Yuki Tsunoda, Kyle, we, we've seen the, the he didn't do well in qualifying and then he made some comments on the team radio and then he continued them in the pen and everyone, I think, was just... Stop! Yuki! No! Stop! Please! No!
4: Yeah, I was cringing when I was watching that. Um, I really I really want Sonoda to do well. I'm quite a fan. And yeah, he let. unfortunately, he let himself down there quite badly. Um, he's already proved himself to be somewhat of a hothead in all of the radio transmissions we've heard from him in practice, getting extremely angry but that was you could argue it was petulant um it was it was quite yeah yeah you do not publicly um yeah you criticize don't. your team and in question that your car is not as good as your teammates out of
2: frustration particularly with a team boss like franz Tost. i would imagine yeah. he got a thorough ticking off when he got back to the garage he certainly enabled the stop engine button uh, and whether or not he used that in the race it remains to be seen but let's let's move on to the race <music> All right, Matt, this is where we ask you, where was the race won and lost?
3: And this is where I always say
2: at the start, because in
3: every race, in almost every race, the start will provide some critical piece of strategy. It may not be taking the lead in turn one, which I have now cleverly mentioned, despite giving me grief about it earlier. Yep, seen. But in this case, I would argue... It was a pretty significant influence uh, as far as Mercedes was concerned. The fact that following Hamilton into turn one, where he was checked up having to not have a collision with Max Verstappen, uh, he wound up losing some momentum. And round the outside of turn three, here comes our friend Charlie LeCourc in his Ferrari, scooting around the outside and suddenly in front of Bottas, who is unable for a large number of laps to get back in front of him which is kind of i mean yeah barcelona hard to pass but you'd think that the mercedes would be able to get that job done and it wasn't and as a result for the first round of pit stops he was effectively not a chess player on the chess
2: a chess piece on the chessboard. okay so i think the max verstappen lewis hamilton thing is the closest thing we've got to an incident so we're going to play our first game whose fault is it (laughs) Well, it's no one's fault because nothing really bad happened. But Brad, we've talked about this kind of racing manoeuvre for a while. Uh, how, How did you see it? I'm not going to say anything. How did you see turn one between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton?
5: Okay, so for a start, these lap one, turn one incidents are judged differently by the stewards. So you can get away with pushing the limits of what's kind of impolite and what might potentially be illegal in other situations because you kind of get a free pass unless you do something particularly obvious on lap one. So I, I think it was robust. I think it was totally expected. And it's the second race in a row where Hamilton has had a decent overlap going into the first or second corner with Verstappen. And Verstappen has just driven straight to the edge of the track as if there's no car there. And both times, well, actually, this time more than uh, Imola, Lewis has seen what's happening, backed out and lived to fight another day, which was obviously sensible.
2: Okay, so you said um, second race in a row. You mean Imola and then this one, there was Portsmouth in between. Yes, apologies. Yes, okay, sorry, no um, Imola. Just doing a bit of housekeeping, Kyle. Uh, that's what I'm here for. Kyle Power.
4: Yeah, um, I don't think... Max pushing Lewis off was actually that conscious in this one. I actually think he, he got in there quite hot. He wasn't opening the wheel. He just absolutely went full wang and just, he went in there and he was, that was his natural line. I don't think he could have checked the car up or turned tighter if he could. Um, I had it pointed out to me on Twitter. Yes, I do look at Twitter every now and then um, that there was somebody penalized in the F3 race for a similar move when there was contact. And there's quite a big difference in this. As Brad rightly pointed out, it's the first lap of the race. And also Uh, Lewis didn't actually have to leave the track as a result. He got out of it in time and stayed completely on the track and there was no contact. So the move was rude. It was hard, but ultimately it was fair and it's the first lap and Lewis had the mind to get out of it. Otherwise that could have easily been a crash.
5: I counter that Lewis would have had to leave the track if he had stayed alongside, Um, but he decided that discretion was the better part of valor and and just took the decision to to back out of it. And I don't think a younger Lewis would have done that. (laughs) but certainly yeah. Verstappen sees in his mind, the racing etiquette at turn one and maybe later in the race, but particularly on turn one and, and lap one is that if he has a nose in front or half a car in front, he has the right to drive the racing line on the exit. And and since the precedent is that it's not penalized and that yeah. Hamilton doesn't even complain because he expects
4: it. It's, it's kind of fun. Absolutely. And also this is psych- psych- psychology for, um, For the next sort of few races and the rest of the season, because uh, this is Verstappen saying to Lewis, regardless of what position I'm in, I am coming through. This is what Schumacher used to do to his opponents. It was absolutely, you know, sort of frightened him off the track. And if he shows any sort of weakness, then that is over. So I do think this is a bit of mind games as well. He has to stick it in hard.
5: But what it also means is if Lewis is in that similar position and he is the one ahead, he will have every right in that situation to do the same thing to Max. Because if Max does keep his nose yeah. in, there'll be plenty of precedent to say, hang on, when we race, this is the, this is the accepted etiquette. Wait, so you can't just stay
2: there. Brad, is Hamilton going to do it back? Because we've seen it two times from Verstappen now and we saw the psychological game between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg as well. It's the same at the poker table where someone just going all in, all in, all in, can bully people into folding. Rosberg kept folding, manoeuvre after manoeuvre after manoeuvre. Hamilton's kind of folded twice. When does he I, take control of the table?
5: I would argue that he he hasn't really folded. Uh, Imola, he he tried for as long as possible to the point where he actually then sacrificed damaging the car by going over the sausage curve. So he kind of pushed the limit of, of what he could get away with as much as possible. There's nothing else he could have done there. And and today he just was sensible and knew it was a long race. He's just showing his experience. But I do think if he is in that position that Max is in, maybe he'll leave him a little bit of room. But I think they're they're trying each other out and mm. they've had consistent races where they're battling and they don't seem to come together, do they? They're not, not hitting really. each other. They might make mistakes occasionally. Mm. Max you know, went four wheels off at Bahrain. But apart from that, it's been clean because they are
2: judging each other correctly. They're not wiping each other out yet, Matt, but it is, I mean, it is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, well, thinking about that,
3: it seems like to me that the driver in front exiting the turn is granting themselves the right to draw the lane he's driving in. And if you're behind, you have to respect that lane. That's what I'm taking out of this incident. And I would expect it to be the same up until the point where it's the last race in the championship is on the line and then you might get some pushback the other thing i want to say is you you talk about lewis making a calculated decision that's the kind of decision you make when you feel like you have the strategic advantage long term i don't need to win this battle because i know i'm winning the war
4: kyle yeah it's exactly that i was going to make that point that it's the confidence in Lewis that he knows in his race pace that is like, this isn't the be all and end all. Maybe going into turn one, at, um, well, this would have been the track we would have thought that if you get into turn one and you win, but 2021 is breathing us otherwise. But if it may have been in sort of Monaco, Lewis might fight a little bit harder, but he knows that he can get him back
2: later in the race. Oh, God, mine, to- minus 10 points to Kyle for mentioning Monaco. It's three weeks away, Kyle. I don't have to address that yet, Brad.
5: Just to back up that exact point that you guys have just made, how many times this season, in the short season we've had so far, has Lewis been the car behind, but he still finished the race ahead. Yeah. So and even at Imola, he was giving chase and had every chance, without making the mistake he did, of of maybe winning the race there as well. So I agree entirely. You don't have to go for the risky hanging on around the outside if you if you think you've probably got the race pace to do it later.
2: Okay. Try telling twenty. 20- was it two thousand and nine at Valencia, Lewis Hamilton versus Pastor Maldonado? Can we go back in time and tell him that because that Lewis Hamilton definitely would have hung it around the outside and there would have been contact. I don't think there's any argument there, Kyle.
4: Yeah, I believe that was twenty twelve. All right, okay. and um, sorry, uh, and and yeah, uh, Lewis was not <laughs> giving in at all, but there no. was a bit of a
2: Maldonado ridiculousness, really. That crash. Okay, let's get back to the race uh, where the race was won and lost, and uh, Matt. You and I, we keep having this conversation. But who's got the better car? I, I do, and I am, I am Hanfosi. Everyone drink, I said Hamphosi. Um, and I would, I would love it to be that Lewis Hamilton is is wrestling the weaker car, uh, around Barcelona and defeating Max Verstappen in the Almighty Red Bull. It does feel like this weekend, Mercedes had a planted, really good setup. Maybe the difference was just like one sector, but the Mercedes had an advantage today and that's fine that that happens I'm sure Red Bull will turn up to some tracks with an advantage but today the Mercedes looked the better car uh, let's let Carl come in on that and then Matt can can counter me
4: I was going to say the Mercedes look like the better car on a race run in one person's hands okay, so it's in, <laughs> okay. yeah yeah in Lewis's hands he keeps doing this in the races he he's the tire whisperer he's somehow managed to He's, he's a genius with the tyres and loading. We, we saw this at the end of Imola first in for Stappen lost his tyres just before they pitted and Hamilton was cruising up behind him. It's the same thing again. Bottas can't seem to extract that potential. So I don't think it's clear that the Red Bull and Mercedes is the, clearly the better package at the moment. In, in In one person's hands it is. So I love that you've brought this up because it takes us nicely to our
3: second point of where the race was won and lost. And you say that, Mercedes has the fastest car, and I say to you, well, define fastest car, because I think I could argue Red Bull actually were faster. I mean, certainly at the start of the race, they were faster, but the safety car, which I think was critical in this race, came out lap six as Yuki Tsunoda, well, rather, the fuel pressure on his car, decided to take a vacation around turn 10 where there was no way of getting it off short of a safety car. And this led to five laps behind the safety car. And I'm going to argue at that point, Hamilton and Verstappen were 10 seconds up the road. Red Bull's strategy from the off, I believe, was a two-stop race pushing very hard in the first stint, which is where they had, especially in the first laps, their biggest advantage over Mercedes because they're quicker to get on the tires and get them switched on. The price they pay for that is degradation at the end of the stint. So they would have wanted to make Lewis work his tires hard, get off them and get onto the medium tire when they wanted to. The safety car absolutely, absolutely kept that from happening the way they wanted to.
2: And the safety car did kill some options. Uh, but what what did you say the fault was on Yuki Snowder's car? Fuel pressure.
3: I believe that's what yeah. I heard on the broadcast. Thing I haven't is, actually called them up and checked yet, if
2: I'm being honest. I did drop a DM because I know who is head of fuel pressure at Alpha AlphaTauri, and it is my friend Derek. And he did not take kindly, Kyle, to Yuki, suggesting that the both cars weren't equal on the Saturday. Um.
4: I'm sure he didn't. So do you think he's just turned his car off?
2: I think there's a big red button and Derek's gone. (laughs) Do you know what, Yuki? No, learn your lesson. Uh,
4: That was a shame because, to be honest, um, Yuki seemed quite clearly and audibly fired up and I was looking forward to him. I think he was going to put some moves on some people and really start making um, things happen because I'm pretty sure he got a stern
2: telling off last night and he was going to put it right today and we were deprived of seeing that, unfortunately. By the way, just, just quickly, quick Yuki diversion. I think there might be something going on in the background, because in practice, or it could be qualifying, there was some session where Yuki Tsunoda made a very kind of seemingly benign comment, like, oh, uh, I'm not getting the turn-in I want. And his team engineer immediately went, calm down, Yuki, calm down. And it just seemed really, like, out of place. Then we got Yuki's really strong reaction to the qualifying performance. And I I don't know, Carl, I'm just wondering, like, is there kind of some already some kind of background thing? Like does Sonoda have some manager who's putting pressure on whispering in his ear like you should be faster than Gasly. Something must be wrong.
4: Uh I would imagine a Honda CEO, maybe. Um, in his ear, uh, again. but but also we saw this and apparently we heard from the inside that Gasly, Gasly was maybe a bit like this in the Red Bull. He was trying to make the team around him and change the car around him rather than not adapt his style. Yuki's obviously new to the sport. He's obviously very quick, got a lot of talent, but I think maybe the team and behind closed doors, we don't get to see all the conversa- we're hearing conversations course. behind closed doors. So maybe that uh, comment from the engineer was born out of frustration of Yuki trying to Make changes to the car, and they're trying to tell him to adapt more.
3: And, and I would go back to the era of Max Verstappen and Carlos signs being at what is now Alphataria and was then Toro Rosso. And I seem to recall an all out war breaking out between the two sides of the garage that Toast was utterly unable to manage. So, yeah, I think there may very well be something going on. Uh, you know, uh, Yuki is new to the team. We know that English is certainly not his first language and it wouldn't surprise me at all if misunderstandings mm. have multiplied and are causing some real issues uh, outside of our site.
2: Yuki Diversion ends. Okay, back to where the race was one and last. And normally, safety cars are like, yay, they bunched the pack up. But in this case, I think it, it kind of killed a lot of options.
3: Yeah, it did. Uh, mainly because it brought all of the midfield Back into the pit stop window for Hamilton and Verstappen. As I said, lap six, they were already 10 seconds up the road. It's a 20, 21 second pit stop, unless you forget to bring your left rear tire out for the pit stop. Oh, is this Givenazzi? Uh No, that was a deflated tire, front left. Oh, but I... it was actually Verstappen's stop was slow because he and his engineer had a miscommunication ah. his first stop. Right, Okay. I have adjudged to not be a critical point in the way the race turned out, but still will be fun to talk about when we get to it.
2: But I will say, uh, just uh, JP at just jsp tweeted: uh, "Alfa Romeo front left wheel man gets my vote for Mech over the weekend for that catch with the puncher. So uh, it didn't look deflated. He managed to see that it was and saved them from going out and 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 being further further disadvantaged." Uh, Brad, then Kyle.
5: All I wanted to point out was that his method of of showing the rest of the pit crew that the tyre was deflated, punching it, was great because it made me think afterwards, if you're not connected by radio, which I don't think each of the, they might have an earpiece, but I don't think they can talk to to the strategy people. If you just don't fit the tyre and you try and shout over the the sound of the Formula One car, (laughs) this tyre is punctured, it would have taken longer. But by kind of physically demonstrating and bashing the tyre, it it made obvious what the problem was. So I thought that was quick thinking.
4: Yeah, and what a strange problem. Uh, Brundle even referred to it saying, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So either somebody has forgot to pressure it, but I thought these would be very closely monitored. It's obviously a quality control problem they have because that's a crazy problem to have. All, that, all the valve has failed. It's just completely bizarre. So I'm kind of hedging my bets that somebody has not done their job ah. and have not checked it. So um, it's such a strange problem. But also with these tires, because the construction so stiff and the sidewalls, you're not going to know. So, as Brad said, it was a perfect way to yeah. describe it because you're not. It doesn't look flat; they always look inflated, even when they are flat. So, so yeah, very good catch. There. Just
2: to defend my my friend Derek, who's head of tire pressure at Haas, they have been skimping on every department. And you know, if you don't have the manpower, some tasks start to fall by the wayside. Uh, Brad, rem- remember Caterham with uh, with um, oh, I can't remember the Japanese racing driver from Caterham, uh, but he was complaining about. Duct tape being used.
3: Komui Kobayashi. Can we,
2: how can I remember? Oh, I'm the worst Kobayashi fan in the world ever. Remove my Kobayashi fan card. But, you know, when the budgets are that tight, they even sold tyre warmers. They sold their tyre blankets and then they were connecting like stuff together with duct tape. So we might have that kind of situation at us.
5: Uh Hopefully not. I don't think any Formula One team currently, even the the least well funded ones, are quite in that position. And I I don't think Haas is going to be
2: poorly funded for very long, anyway. Oh, fair enough. We we that sounds like a topic for a new show, Carl.
4: Yeah. Um. F one. Mia Ham in the uh, chat room. I don't know where they got the information from, but has said it was the valve which failed. So. Okay. That kind of does make sense.
2: Oh, Derek's off the hook then. Matt, back to where the race was won and lost. I think you were starting to talk about the first round of pit stops, basically. So it was Red Bull in the first instance that triggered that, that battle for the lead, uh, triggered the, the second round of pit stops. Verstappen comes in and it's a four-second stop. Oh, my God, four seconds. What a bunch of losers. Unbelievable. I can't believe Red Bull dropped the ball. Uh, but it is unusual. It's unusual for Red Bull to have that quote-unquote slow, a pit stop. Christian Horner said to the Sky team that they had prepared the pit stop, but they actually, they weren't calling Max in. Max came in, they were unprepared, and was he was actually praising his team for getting the tyres out, and it only being a four-second pit stop. But nonetheless, Max Verstappen is now on the back foot.
3: He's on the back foot a bit, and, but he was already, they were already on the back foot, if I'm being honest, because again, the safety car tilted the advantage to the cars that did better later in the stint on the tires. And Max came in, according to my understanding, because there was a miscommunication between him and his engineer about whether he was pitting that lap. As is, I think from a strategy point of view, it was a good one because it took the undercut away from Hamilton, the undercut which we had already seen working in other instances incredibly well.
4: Yeah, because um, also it was genius because he'd lost about a second on that lap. He was hemorrhaging time to um, to Lewis, and it looked like he'd hit the wall with the um, with the tires. He'd, yeah. he'd hit the cliff. So I think if he'd have stayed out, Lewis would have had him down into turn one anyway. He was really close. So it, if it was a call just for Max on his own, it was
2: the correct call. And then obviously Brad with with Max just having, uh fluffing it in his pit stop, and then also coming out behind Perez and Ricardo obviously Lewis Hamilton then pitted to easily yeah, take. What yeah. I
5: expected. I, I, was, I was in our WhatsApp chat going, pit now, pit now. Only an idiot wouldn't pit now. <laughs> it was just the obvious thing to do. You know, you can't pass very easily at Barcelona. He sat behind him for a full first stint and Red Bull have given you a golden opportunity to take the lead easily. And yeah. then he didn't. Okay. So could it,
2: could it be maybe Carl that, that they just they didn't realize the advantage that they had and they had assumed that the that the undercut once it happened was going to be a massive advantage for Red Bull and they were already set okay we've lost the undercut we're just going to push on try and get a tire advantage
4: um i think mercedes were going to pit lewis until they stumbled across a certain russian oh in his first God. season <laughs> struggling and they lost that narrow win. they lost that opportunity hence we saw the fantastic radio conversation please can we have more of that of, of race control and and uh toto race control and toto go for it. i got his name right this time um yeah saying that the guys just lost us the position i think after that and lewis saying the tires are still okay they decided to play the long game but i do think they would have jumped on the opportunity had they been able to have it
2: Who's fault is it inexplicably Nikita Mazapan once again fails to respect blue flags and interfere with a leader once is careless I think brand twice i, th- I think we have an issue, Houston
5: yeah, I mean it's not the only issue with Mazapin at the moment we We went over this in our in one of our other podcasts um and I don't want to be too uh, Mazepin Mazapin bashing because I don't want this to tick over to the point of bullying, but the there are not many redeeming features at the moment from Mazepin. It's one thing to have a glittering junior career and then take some time to struggle in Formula One, but he doesn't have that. It's one thing to come into Formula One and be perfect in terms of etiquette, a bit of a Latifi, but be a little stroll. bit off your teammate. Stroll, That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. Um, nice guy. But at the moment, Mazepin is very slow compared to his rookie teammate and he's making pretty frequent mistakes and racking up the points on his license by getting in people's way and ignoring blue flags and doing the basics wrong. Yeah. So he needs to start doing something right to justify his place, apart from obviously the finance.
2: I, I think, bad. Like you, you've, you've obviously done a lot of uh, racing at every level, level, from club to pro to being a Nordschleife champion, even karting. You listen to the driver brief and it's like Mazepin just doesn't care, doesn't listen to the driver brief.
5: One of the things you do as a good driver is when you 're in a position where your car isn 't good enough to win or your cart or your team or whatever is you make sure you do the basics right and you tend to find the best drivers are also very good backmarkers if they 're in a lower class in an endurance race they 'll be the ones that judge correctly when to get out of the way and never hamper the leaders and As a leader, if you 're coming upon a slower car or, or a slower class car in one of those races. You're always happy when you know it's one of the good drivers, one of the one of the pro drivers in that car because they get out of the way properly.
2: Okay. Matt, all these factors conspire to Lewis Hamilton not pitting and taking what feels like the obvious track position that's on offer. That that reality has disappeared. They decide to give themselves a, a five lap newer tire tire advantage towards the end. Was it only four lap? only a four-lap tyre advantage. Okay, well, that's the that's the reality that we're in now.
3: Yeah, well, the reality we're in, and and while every point you have just made is utterly and completely valid, I wish to point out that at the end of Verstappen's lap... Um, outlap? At the end of his outlap, he was a mere t- uh, 20.79 seconds behind Ooh. Hamilton when Hamilton got to the pit Entrance, I believe. Unless I've mis- uh unless I've fudged this up with the uh second set of pit stops. But it, it, I think there was less of an opportunity for Hamilton to um to to take advantage of those two seconds. No, I'm thinking about the second stop. Never mind, forget everything else. Okay, said.
2: okay. Well, we've had a good point, I think, in the chat room, which is although Sergio Perez has not had the weekend that I would want him to have, he's not put it all together, he was just about in uh Lewis Hamilton's pit window, which meant that Lewis didn't have the option to go for the no-brainer undercut. Is that fair, Matt? And I mean, I think that's what Red Bull's been lacking for a while.
3: Well well, yeah, it's absolutely fair. And this is the again, the effect of that safety car on that first round of pit stops not being underestimated, because it kept them from having uh drama free stops. It it's they normally have that bubble behind them that they can pit into ahead of everyone else. Safety car removed that.
4: Yeah, I was I was quite upset when I saw the, fa- the safety car because I thought um, I thought that actually killed any chance that there was going to be a two stop and a slight gloat from me at twelve minutes past two p.m. The race started at two p.m. UK time. I did actually say <laughs> in our group chat that we're going to see a Mercedes hungry twenty nineteen strategy now <laughs> I see today, and it actually happened. And I was gutted when the safety car came out because I was like, "Oh no, that's going to kill any chance of this happening." But in the end, in a weird. Back to front way, as I'm sure Matt can explain a bit later. It it kind of almost facilitated, well, it w- almost stopped Verstappen from from um,
2: protecting from against retaliating it, yeah. against it. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, and and I think this nicely brings us to the last and most important place where the race was won and lost, and that's lap 42, when chasing after having chased down Verstappen, and I do want to make the point that Hamilton six seconds back caught him up pretty quickly but as soon as he caught him up max was running the same pace laps that lewis was running to catch him and so i think he had been preserving his tires for the battle to come and after a couple of laps of that they they whip round they threw the chicane and hamilton dives from the outside to the inside of the track just makes the pit entry on lap 42 And everyone went, what?
2: I I was completely surprised. I was absolutely shocked that they'd done that. How often have I moaned on this podcast that Mercedes have a wait and see attitude? And I don't mean that as completely derogatory. It's just that they have enough headroom to wait and see what the other guys do and then react to it. This time, oh my goodness, they took everyone by surprise. No one was calling that. I was looking on Twitter, in our Slack group, on the WhatsApp chat. No one was calling that.
4: I was actually in the middle of typing out a message to our group chat saying, oh, the safety car was prevented from this happening, you know, <laughs> preventing them going for it. And then bang, they absolutely went yep. for it. All credit to them because uh, they knew they had the only position they'd lose was going to be to Bottas. And of course, he was really going to get out of the way and not cause Lewis any problems whatsoever. Matt. So what's fascinating to me
3: about this is, is, is Mercedes was vehement that the one stop was the fastest strategy here. Pirelli had had called it a two stopper, quickest. Mercedes, absolutely, no, one stop, one stop, all the way. And if you look in the right light at holding Lewis out those extra four laps, well, the one stop makes an awful lot of sense. I think they were perhaps playing for it. What's interesting to me is that in the strategic position in which they found themselves, in which Max was able to keep Lewis from passing him on similar on similar tires, they said, "Oh, look." We've got, happily, uh, Leclerc has stayed out long to try and make it a one-stop. So now we've got Valtteri in third. He's 10 seconds back. Oh, we've got the pincer movement going. We keep Valtteri out. Yeah. He's in. He's totally in Max's way. We can afford to bring Lewis in and give him the fast tires and let him go do what he does best.
2: Okay, Brad, I want to just establish one thing. Had Lewis Hamilton pitted and got track position, he's disappeared. Yes, no? I think he's gone.
5: I think once he's in front, he's, yeah. he's going to be able to go. So, it. So
2: they kind of blew their first opportunity to just nail it. The second opportunity was Lewis just catching up to Verstappen and then just getting passed on track. That wasn't happening because... I, I, well, it was Verstappen was just doing really well in sector three, wasn't he? That was stopping Hamilton making the pass.
5: He seemed to always have just enough just before the DRS detection zone to hold yeah. Lewis at arm's length. And that was right up until the moment before Lewis actually pitted for that second stop. Because at that moment, I was obviously watching the gap and it got down to six tenths as they rounded the final yeah. couple of corners. Max seemed to be slightly held up by a car in front, although he would have probably got DRS from that car too. But I was thinking, this is the lap Lewis is going to pounce. It's going to happen right now. And that's that's why it was such a surprise that that's the lap they chose to pit him. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, this is the, the second or third opportunity Mercedes have blown now to just yes. get in front. So as you mentioned, at this, maybe at the start of the race, if he just had a good start, or then the undercut, uh, the first pit stop. Uh, and then this was another one where he was looking at a genuine on-track pass right. and they pitted him again and gave him loads of extra work. It's but really, it obviously proved to be... Brad, a great it's experience.
2: a really good point that you've made there because I was talking about, oh yeah, Mercedes are brilliant. and I'm, And they are, and they have done really well today. They pulled a blinder with that final thing. But Carl, this was probably... We're talking about now the third failed attempt to take control of of this race.
4: Yes, it was an odd one, and I I totally agree. I genuinely think that 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 Hamilton would have got Verstappen and passed him on track regardless of the strategy. He had five lap newer tires, and we saw how badly Verstappen was struggling at the end of his first stint. So, and as Brad said, he was right on him. So that's why it was really surprising. It just goes to show the confidence that Mercedes have. In their car and their driver and this goes back to the undercap
3: lap first set of pit stops max anticipates the undercut involuntarily perhaps but he takes away that weapon from yeah. mercedes second time round they're not going to be so nice about it once lewis was chucked up behind him they were like let's get this done after all we had the Assens pitting lap 37 and 38 going on to softs. So we saw that the undercut could work and we saw that the fresh tires work quick, especially as the cars get lighter on fuel. Yeah. But you remember earlier on in the show? No. Where I said that it goes all the way back to the race weekend? Nuh-uh. One of the things the teams absolutely have to do is give back a certain number of tire sets throughout the weekend.
0: Mm. Six
3: sets as it is. One set on the car, you have six sets left for your race. Going into this race... Mercedes had a hard tire for Lewis, had a new medium tire, which he went on to at his first pit stop, a used medium tire that was not real used, I guarantee you, and then some used softs to go on to. Red Bull sent Max into battle with a hard tire, new, a medium tire, new, and a soft tire, new. And that's why I think they were on for the proper two stop from the beginning. And that's why at lap 42. They were out of options because they didn't think they could run a soft tire from lap 42 to the end at that pace, number one, or they lacked the delta between the two tires for it to make a difference.
2: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the mind of a musician who is sober enough to remember details about a race that happened five hours ago. We at Mist Apex believe no musician should have to suffer that fate. So please do support us at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Never make Matt Trumpets go through this again. And also for me, I don't like Matt making coherent points that people will congratulate him for on YouTube. Okay, so we are now into the real meat of the race. Mercedes have set Lewis Hamilton up with faster tyres. Towards the end of the race, and we were complaining a few years ago how this this tactic, Matt, a, few, a couple couple of years back in the kind of Ferrari versus Mercedes uh, battles, the, the 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 quicker tire extra pit stop strategy just didn't work for a long time. This was the duff strategy when overtaking was a bit harder in Formula One, but it worked today. And Lewis Hamilton was hunting down Max Verstappen, and from that point, Brad. You, you heard, you visibly heard, somehow, you need to Google the term synesthesia for that to make sense, but you visibly heard Max Verstappen starting to doubt the race. Like, he instantly started to think, we should have covered that.
5: From the radio calls, we were party two. You could certainly hear uh, a growing concern from the Red Bull camp and a growing confidence from the Mercedes camp. And you could kind of see the way this was going. Although there was a slight hesitation around the middle of the, the fight back from Lewis when he arrived at his teammate. Now, this should have obviously been a very simple okay. yes. <laughs> allowing him through, as, as Perez would have done and I think did do did for do. Max.
2: yeah. But it wasn't so simple. There was three messages, Brad. There was three distinct messages. Lewis is five seconds behind you. He's on a different strategy. Lewis is two seconds behind you. He's on a different strategy. No, seriously, dude, don't hold him up.
5: Yeah, and I was hoping this wouldn't happen, but I could certainly see this happening. Anyone who's watched Drive to Survive over the winter knows that Bottas is still feeling the the time when he was told to move over and lost a race win in, in Russia. However, this wasn't for a race win, but he decided to still make a point. And, and even in the post-race interviews, he admitted that he didn't let Lewis through at the earliest opportunity. He's here to do his own race, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But from my point of view, there was a very real possibility he could have lost his team the race. And I'm pretty sure they won't forget that and they will have noted that.
4: I completely agree. And as soon as it was happening, um. I, the thought that went through my head was that is a graphic illustration that Bottas is not going to be in that car next year. That is driving of a man who knows he has already been told that he doesn't have the seat and his comments further back that up after the race. I'm driving for myself is what he said. I don't, you know, I'm doing things for myself here. So he's trying to uh, entice other teams into getting him. So that for me was a slam dunk. They have already told Vateri that he is not in the car next year
3: and it's not a surprise to me, but if I am going to defend him, because clearly somebody has to make an opposing point here, he was on a different strategy. He was on the preferred Mercedes strategy, the A strategy, not the B strategy. And he had a right to race his teammate. Now, that said, I'll tell you who I think did make a mistake. And I think that was Mercedes, because I think once Lewis was about two seconds off of Bottas, Verstappen hadn't pitted. He doesn't need to be there any longer to get in Verstappen's way. Box, box, box. We're switching to a two-stop.
2: Oh, there we go. And look, Kyle Lewis Hamilton did end up hunting down Verstappen. It wasn't as it wasn't the last lap that they were touting on the radio, but there was still a lot of doubt because we've seen this situation play out. And it was, is Max's older tyres going to go off a cliff where he just can't defend? Or is Lewis going to chew up his new tyres to the point that he can no longer attack? And that we just didn't know which way that was going to go.
4: No, and it's all very well and good being a second and a half a lap faster when you catch them. But he's been absolutely spanking his tyres for a few laps, really trying to catch up. And then he hits the dirty air, which is going to cause the tyres to overheat and kill them even more. So there there was a real... I, I was surprised at how quickly it happened. He just made no... He was no took no prisoners and just got it done immediately yeah. which is good to see but there's a very real risk that he was going to chew his tires yeah. then hit the dirty air and if he didn't pounce on him immediately and he got stuck and didn't get the and didn't use the momentum a bit like for on lewis in bahrain if he didn't use momentum and get through there would have been curtains for him
3: right and this brings up the biggest unanswered question no one asked christopher or this question after the race they did have a new set of soft tires we saw Gasly, like, lap 52 get onto his tires. At, at lap 49, lap 50, Hamilton was more than 10 seconds back of Verstappen. He had a new set of soft tires he could have been put on. Why, oh, why, oh, why did Red Bull bet the farm <laughs> on keeping those medium tires fresh enough till the <sighs> end when they could have put Max, who loves to chase people onto some fresh soft tires and sent him after Hamilton, who would have only had a 10-second a 10, 10 lead at fast with 15, 16 laps left in the race. Oh, I'm so sad when I figured that out.
2: Panel, I know it looks like Verstappen had a lot of options here. Does anyone think there is a scenario where Verstappen wins this race? Because it feels like we saw... Mercedes maybe blow a couple of opportunities and still have the headroom to win. Kyle, how how did Red Bull win this race? Uh, by
4: reacting immediately to to Lewis diving into the pits by just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at it. Tell Verstappen to turn the engine up to eleven, cane your your in lap, and with the Red Bull um, with their precocious pit stop pace that they can do, I think that that was their only chance of hanging on to it. There,
2: uh, let's have Brad then, Matt
5: um providing i've not misunderstood the tire allocation maybe by being the ones that undercut lewis on the second stop did they have the tires which could get to the end mat at that point am i understanding this correctly well, this is the point i was going
3: to bring up uh at lap 42 no i don't believe they did uh, they had a hard tire available which nobody in the entire race used at all which tells you everything you need to know about the hard tire in this race and they had a soft tire which in my opinion if you look at their usage of the soft tire at the beginning of the race would not have made it from lap forty two to lap sixty six intact.
4: Yeah, um, they could have stuck the hard tire onto it, but but also they, as you say, they were kind of almost forced into it. They they could have done the hard tire; that was a new option. But I was surprised by the resigned sound in the engineer's voice, where it said, "Well, Max, this is Hungry Twenty Nineteen again." They kind of knew that it that they'd lost the battle right then and there. I was really surprised
2: to hear that. Okay, yes, and that negativity did start to flow into the radio messages. I mean, Brad's also, I think this is the final point, really, uh, on the, the hamilton Verstappen battle because, and we've only spent 54 minutes on it, <laughs> to, to completely allay the criticism that we spend too much time on the front battles. But the radio messages were increasingly fraught. Uh, Max Verstappen was told, you're losing time to Sergio Perez in certain sectors, and that didn't go down well.
5: That's the exact point I was about to make. Why, why would you tell the driver who's fighting for the yeah. lead that a driver in the same car who has not been anywhere near the potential of this car and is quite a long way back is doing certain corners better than you yes. when you're not on the identical tyre strategy? I can understand that really annoying Max. It would annoy me. Yes. And I think his reaction was justified.
2: Perez did not have the same pressure to push So, Perez could have been sat there saving his tyres behind Ricardo for for nearly the whole race. Uh, You can understand why Verstappen kind of lost it at that and said, Well, yeah, but I haven't been trying to match Lewis Hamilton. The battle he had was Lewis Hamilton. Perez was fighting Ricardo.
5: I think I would have reacted and said, Well, why isn't he fighting for the lead then? Like, you know, that that would be um, (laughs) a conversation after the race with my engineer, I think. (laughs) So, I
3: brought this point up. I would have loved to have seen. Red Bull, put Max on the red tires, have him go after Lewis, win, lose, or draw, you know he's going to finish second. He's already going to finish second where he is, but I'm pretty sure that the the long answer to that is the engineers had a bin full of numbers they'd been staring at, and the answer was nope. And so at least with him ahead, he had the track to help him maybe hang on to first
2: place. So as you all know, I am... I've always been a massive Ferrari fan throughout the decades I've always said they're the opposite to the i've basically said they're the Jedi throughout the history of Formula One, and I've always wished them well so now I get to celebrate in what I think genuinely is the standout performance of this weekend, which is Ferrari and Leclerc Matt. I think we need to go uh, to to those guys bringing Leclerc home in fourth place was just fantastic. They performed well in qualifying. And Leclerc said before the race, look, this is a track where we can defend a qualifying position. I think I think we're starting to see a pattern with Ferrari that perhaps this season they can qualify a little better than they can race. And at Barcelona and perhaps at Monaco, that's going to be an advantage.
3: Yeah, well, I think what we're looking at is our McLaren and Norris did not have the greatest of weekends for a variety of different reasons. It started in qualifying. Uh, Barring McLaren, there is no real contender to Ferrari at the front of the midfield, or to Ferrari even now occupying its own weird category, slightly ahead of, but not caught up with yet, Red Bull or Mercedes. They had the pace. We saw the pace in qualifying last week at Portimao. They were unable to convert that in the same way, and we know that they have a weakness on tires. They like to eat their tires a little bit, which does make their life a little more um, precarious than they would like during the races, but the pace is there. It is genuine and they are going to be well in this race for uh third place in the constructors championship. And they have really gotten Leclerc's act together. Right. They knew they weren't going to win third. They left him out when bought pitted mm. and he just drove that car. And he had the, he had the gap to pit for new tires when everybody else did. So no one would catch him. And it was just, uh, I think the race played out almost exactly the way they wanted to, except for signs losing two places at the beginning. All right.
2: And let me play advocate for people who definitely aren't Ferrari fans. Why is this performance by Ferrari indicative of performance and like it's a real thing, yet McLaren doing really well over the last three races isn't? My instinct is to still say McLaren are ahead. Ferrari just had a, a good weekend.
3: Uh, I would I would argue that the technical basis for them doing well yields them an advantageous position because I believe that at the end of the day, they have a monetary and engineering and historical advantage that McLaren does not share to that degree. And most importantly, if we look at the trajectory of Carlos Sainz versus Daniel Ricciardo, I think that Signs is showing himself
4: the best adjusted of drivers to his new home. I completely agree. I think Carlos has been doing a fantastic job this season, but very positive signs from from Ferrari. From the very sort of first laps they started putting in in free practice, the car looks good. And I think it's the, their chassis, I think is right up there. I I think they've got on top of their aero problems. The only big problem they have at the moment is a lack of horses in the back. Um, I think once they get a bit more power, they're going to be right in the mix. So it's really good to see. I mean, regardless, if you like Ferrari or not, you want to see them towards the front. Another car towards the front (laughs) is going to give more racing. Well,
2: Whether you like Ferrari or not, you want to see them towards the front. What if you really hate Ferrari and are perfectly happy with them being in eighth?
4: Well, um, I want to see as many competitive cars towards the front as possible for Formula One as a whole. I want to see an exciting race. Ferrari is a team, (laughs) as Matt said, with the resources. Fine um with the budget and with their quite bonkers royalty payments they get essentially from formula one they have the ability to be at the front so i want to see them at the front
3: yes and if you hate ferrari when mercedes beats them that just makes you all the happier if you if it looked like they might have won at one point let's just (laughs) go back to 2018 and ask the non-ferrari fans what they thought about
2: that if if you hate ferrari i'm not saying i do uh, battle of the number twos i think this is a reasonably short subject we've covered valtteri bottas a little i think um painfully a little focus on perez it's not that well i mean we could skip it if you if you want to skip this segment today for time like whatever i don't i don't mind Wh- whatever you want brad is
5: perez is perez doing better than Albon or Gasly at the same stage of their Red Bull main team career, yeah. and I just just want to put in in here as well that Red Bull is clearly a better car relative to Mercedes than it was sure. when those two drivers were driving, and they were also both a lot less experienced than Perez is at, yeah. at the stages they were in. So is he doing better than they were, or would you expect a very experienced race winner to yeah. be
2: closer to Max? So I think. The most useful thing is to remove the Perez versus Albon thing that has been happening. Let's talk about, has the second Red Bull got closer to being more useful in the fight against Mercedes? And I think my only defence, not being biased at all, Kyle, my only defence of Perez not doing well this weekend, injured shoulder and not feeling well on Saturday aside, is that looking at the lap times on race pace today, in clean air, the little clean air he had by his own by his own actions, and looking at the race pace in Portimao again after a bad start, looking at the race pace in um, in Bahrain and some qualifying in um, in Imola, we are at least seeing some elements fall into place. The frustrating thing as a Paris fan is we definitely haven't seen a whole weekend come together. But as far as the second Red Bull seat goes. I still feel it looks like when we get to the end of the season I still feel we'll look back and go Red Bull have for whatever reason made progress with the second seat. Yes,
4: I think he's doing a decent job. It's unfair to compare him directly to Gasly or Albon as you say, but I do think he is suffering from what I call a second ball syndrome, which he's struggling with the he's he is not putting together clean weekends. He's had some spins, shoulder problem or not. Something always happens in this second ball syndrome. Like something always seems to happen Se- to them. What are you on about second during ball? the weekend? Second ball. What are you on about? The second red bull car. Oh, They're second always, ball. Right. Yeah, the second ball, not ball, Sorry. Yeah, the second okay. Ball so car. you're
2: you're it. suffering from slightly East of England accent syndrome where bull <laughs> sounds like bull. Okay, fair enough. Yes.
4: Yes. Um, so he's suffering from that and just he just cannot get a Well, Red Bull cannot get, for whatever reason, over the last few seasons, a clean weekend with that second car. Um, Perez is now feeling the pressure. Obviously, he's clearly shown he has the pace of Verstappen. He just needs to put it all together. When he can do that, comparatively, I saw Brad's face there. Um, he's clearly he in a race he has pace much closer to Verstappen than anyone else has been, but he just needs to put the weekend together.
5: Okay, I just wanted to point out and I know Spanish you said don't compare this to Alban. No, it's but,
4: okay, it's okay.
5: But Kyle said it's unfair to compare him to to Alban or Gasly, but I think it's unfair on Alban and Gasly because as I mentioned before, they were inexperienced, quite new drivers without a big history to fall back on. Perez has come into this second Red Bull seat with the benefit of experience, but also a reputation, which is going to be there regardless of what happens. He will go away from Formula One as a race winner and a multiple podium finisher, which is not something that Gasly and Albon had the benefit of whilst they were there. They were trying to make a name for themselves and they didn't have that to kind of lean back on. So I would also contest that he's had the pace of Verstappen. I think Relative to his teammate, I think Perez has been further away from his teammate than Bottas has been. Uh, Although I don't think Bottas is doing a great job, he certainly seems to me to be the stronger of the two second drivers.
4: I would just like to clarify that I meant it was unfair on Gasly and Albon. Like I did mean it that way. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah. and fair enough. And I think, Matt, you came up with a a decent stat in our chat earlier that that there are certain, uh, so far after four races... There's a, a bunch of drivers who've got a 4-0 record against their teammates. And also, as has been overplayed in the media, perhaps, all the drivers that have switched are having an embedding period. So we could well be looking back after race 10 and go, OK, that was an adjustment period. Ricardo is now thumping Lando. Perez is a really useful member of Red Bull. Vettel is spanking Stroll, et etc.
3: Yeah, in fact, I believe, and this is from Twitter, so I, if I did not absolutely research it, uh, my apologies, but um, Hamilton, Verstappen, Ocon Leclerc, and Schumacher so far are absolutely winning the battle of the teammates now that Ricardo finished ahead of Norris in today's race.
2: Okay, fair enough. But that, that's only going to go so far, isn't it? Like, at some point, Kyle, we've got to say... Um, in fact, we'll move to McLaren, like, right now, because we've got to say at some point, all right, Vettel, you've had your set- settling in period. All right, Perez, you've had your settling in period. Um, let's look at Ricardo. Ricciardo has had a wonderful weekend, and he has got ahead of his teammate, and you could see the change in the post-race interviews. Like, he is now 2020, Ricardo is back. He is there giving Jensen Button a load of grief, and uh, he's loving life again.
4: Yeah. And he made some very, um, very interesting comments in one of his interviews. I think it was um, in the Saturday after a qualifying show on Sky Sports, where he said um, he said that he's not quite at the stage where he's doing things naturally now. So he's still having to consciously think about where the switches are on the steering wheel or what steering inputs to put in. Usually racing drivers when... When there's lots of adrenaline going, you are driving mainly purely on instinct. It's not too conscious, but it's having to consciously think about his inputs. That's going to hold him back. So maybe this weekend was the weekend that he's made a breakthrough and he could start to drive a bit more naturally. So he was extremely impressive.
3: Yeah, well, there was a very interesting interview with James Key, and he was talking about how the change in the shape of the front tires has impacted the um, way you break into the turns that in some ways the new tires, although they're better in dirty air, uh, they're not as good breaking into the turns, trail braking, as the previous generation tires. And then when you add to that fact that his entire career, Daniel Ricciardo has only ever used a Renault power unit, which, if the rumors are to be believed, is, is uh, quite good on low-end torque, you begin to see where suddenly the things that normally work for him, both at Red Bull and at Renault, are not going to work with a Mercedes It has a different torque curve and with tires that won't let him break the same way into the turns. Add to that the new aero regulations, changing things at the back a wee bit. And suddenly it's a massive curve. And he himself said, I feel like I'm back at school. I'm, I'm having to learn how to drive the car all over again. I'm having to think my way through every turn and I'm not used to doing that.
2: Let's talk some racing. Okay, we have two Very experienced racers here. Uh, We have Brad Philpott. We know he can jump in basically any car and beat anyone. I am confident that Bradley Philpott would get in nearly anything that isn't a top level single seater against Nikita Mazapan and beat him. I know that's damning you with faint praise, Brad. I'm just trying to say you're fairly good at driving a race car.
5: Yeah, we've we've covered the, the Mazepin thing. I, don't, I wouldn't say I'd jump in any car and beat anyone, but
2: we can probably <laughs> go for Mazepin as the benchmark. Well, you beat Vettel, so that's that's enough.
5: Yeah, and in his prime, I want to point out, not in his Good strong point.
2: years. Good point, exactly. <laughs> not, not in the malaise of the Vettel years. No, you beat him in the Race of Champions in the Skills Challenge. And we also have Kyle, by the way. Kyle is a fantastic racer. In fact, Brad, I'll ask you about Kyle. Is it fair to say that despite him being polite beyond belief and never wanting to ruin anyone's race. Kyle is one of the 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 best racers in our group of racers. Like he's spot on, he knows what he's doing wheel to wheel and he has the pace nearly everywhere we compete. For someone who looks like
5: he woke up on the bench outside the kart track, Kyle is surprisingly <laughs> fast on the track itself.
2: Good, I'm glad. So we've got Kyle and we've got Brad here and what I want to talk about is the defensive moves into turn 1. So we had uh, Norris get a black and white flag, I think a little bit of a warning for his defense, um jinking, and then and maybe a little bit more of a stark example of uh, aggressive defending from Lance Stroll. Uh, and then I want to also go back to the eventual overtake of Lewis Hamilton uh, of uh, Max Verstappen by Lewis Hamilton. So, uh, Brad, the jinking down the main straight, Lando Norris and Lance Stroll. What can you do? Did either of those guys for you violate A, the rules and B, what you would expect from a good member of the driving community?
5: So I'll leave the Stroll one aside because I don't remember seeing that. Um, I do very clearly remember the um, the Lando Norris move and I I exclaimed at the time involuntarily, whoa, that was a bit late because it, it was a particularly late direction change. Um, you're not supposed to make a move in the braking zone, and I believe he was just prior to the nice. braking zone. But it was certainly at a point where it was Leclerc behind him, wasn't it? Um, that had already kind of no signs.
2: It was signed. Was uh, it signed? Yeah. Okay,
5: it was a red car. I remember. Anyway, <laughs> the car behind had, had committed to a side, and Norris moved very late. And, and the car behind, to their credit, made it round the other way anyway. But uh, Lando was given the black and white flag, um, yeah. and he he was quite. Chastised after the race, so he was certainly Mm. he was kind of apologetic, and he said he'd need to see the the overhead view to judge it properly. But he didn't mean to to make an illegal move or a
2: dangerous. Sure, but you've commented, you know, when I'm when I've been karting, you've commented that I have no racecraft whatsoever, and I've taken that to heart. And it's only taken me five years to pay attention and try to actually build in some wheel-to-wheel strategies into what I do with karting and sim racing. When we're on a straight, we were talking about defending on a straight into a corner and turn one at Barcelona into that right-hander is a really good example of a kind of a a deep braking zone where people can attack and defend. And we were talking a little bit about how you position another car. So as the defending car, Lando Norris, what was he trying to do with the car behind, with signs behind?
5: He was trying to force the car behind to go the long way around. As it happened, there was too much of a speed differential actually to do anything. Whichever side Lando had gone, the Ferrari was coming past him. So he was in a in a position where he had to try something, but it was ultimately, he'd already lost the battle before he made any kind of move. But he was trying to force the car to go the long way around the outside. And the the interesting thing about this particular set of corners is that you can actually pass on either side, provided it all goes right for you because of the switch back into turn two. So it's not kind of, it's not all over if someone gets the inside or if they get an overlap on the outside. So it, you don't know what the outcome is going to be until you see what actually happens. So I actually love this sequence of corners because of the switchback.
4: Yeah, as Brad said, Loris um, was fairly almost apologetic um he knew especially with his bosom but winky that is science you know they were very good friends when they (laughs) were what wait hang on a a minute bosom
2: but winky (laughs) unk's an old work phrase (laughs) no don't Um, pretend that's a common phrase although i will now adopt it in all my endeavors exactly you'll be using it yep yep (laughs) um so and
4: also so he's going into turn one there was a huge closing speed right and it's hard the mirrors they can't see great out out of the mirrors, and particularly you don't really have depth perception very well when you're looking at a mirror going through a weird wing, and it's for a rear wing and it's vibrating quite a lot, yeah he's also trying to mitigate the damage to himself, so if he knows he's going to be passed very very easily, he kind of just wants to go off and just let him go, so then he can tuck back and tuck back onto the racing line and he's not going to get hung out to dry on the outside. he's also trying to mitigate the damage to himself, but it was a bit. Rude. It was a bit like when um, I think it was Maguson did the same thing to Leclerc at yeah. the in 2019, um, when Leclerc got the best use of past yes. and current yeah. tenses in a foreign language ever, um, and and kind of got it right. So yeah, it was a bit naughty from Nando, and they probably will be talking about it in the um, in the GPDA. But it was the Verstappen
2: moving in breaking zone type late move. I'm sure there will. And Verst- uh, Stroll's move was even more aggressive, Matt.
3: Yeah, I I'm delighted that we've now gotten to this part of the race where, you know, everyone swarmed Alonso in the last five or six laps, yeah, that and we was had good. a slew of overtaking, and there was great battles between Alonso and battle, and there were pit stop battles. I mean, there was so much going on there. But yeah, Stroll for a brief shining moment thought that he had the last championship point locked down. Because he didn't realize that Gasly had pitted for soft tires and mm. had a nice advantage on him, and was going to hunt him down like a drowned badger.
2: But to be fair, we, we we like I damn stroll with faint praise all the time. Like, oh, he kind of goes along, and you know, if people crash, then oh, okay, thank you, please, I'll I'll go and get that place. Today, he was aggressive in defence, he was aggressive in attack, he was taking it uh, to Alonso. So you can't fault him today on a track that's very hard to defend against, Brad. He was fully going for it. I really
5: hate what I'm about to say, but I think today <laughs> might be the day that I accept Lance Stroll as a, a okay. proper Formula One driver and put aside the opportunity and all the practice and all the second chances he got that other people wouldn't have got. I feel like I need to park all that now. He's had several races now in the same car as a former four-time world champion. He seems to have him in his pocket. He seemed the, it doesn't just seem to be that he has had um, opportunities to allow him to get decent results that were kind of luck. He is now consistently being the lead driver in that team. Mm. And he is, he's kind of, Driving like a proper Formula One driver, I think I need to just accept that now.
2: No, fair enough. Obviously, my argument, Kyle, would be he's had a lot more opportunity to to get to that point. But at least he's got... Imagine if it was Mazepin in five years' time with all these opportunities. He, he won't have made the same strides towards being a, a great member of the F1 community that Lance Stroll ha, has, has done, given extraordinary levels of privilege and opportunity.
4: Yes, you could easily argue that when he first got into Formula One, he was not there on merit. Now, if you take away his past history and you Mm. look at him as like a blank face driver, is he there on merit? (laughs) Absolutely, I think he is.
2: Well, it's a big if, and and, and I would caveat that with, Matt, I would caveat that with, is he there on merit in a team that is low budget that perhaps couldn't attract a current top tier driver? So we don't know where where, where Vettel's at right now. And, and I know there's a lot of Vettel fans. I don't want to do him down, but it is possible that Vettel is on the wane. I mean, he's got three kids. Jeez, I've barely got energy with, with two kids. Three must be 50% worse. We don't know what the second Aston Martin, and it is the second Aston Martin seat, would be like with Ricardo, Ocon, Perez, Holkenberg, for example. But for now, it looks like he's out of the box. 2021? He's there. He's the Aston Martin, uh, a strong midfield running team's number one driver.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, actually, if you look at today's race, I think it's good news for Aston. They were battling for points at the end of the race. Clearly, improvements have been made. And crucially, we've seen Vettel. Vettel was really more or less on pace with Stroll. Mm.
2: He was not that far far off. Yeah, Yeah.
3: And I love that you mentioned Ocon, because I can bring up this little factoid that of the top 10 drivers, He was the only one to make a one-stop strategy work. The only one. Alonso was on that same one-stop strategy and wound up 17th from 10th in the last six laps. So just, I'm just going to put that out there with nothing else to add other than I really feel like today showed us where the teams were in a way that we've not seen thus far. I think you very clearly have Ferrari and McLaren battling for third. I think you have Alpine right now by themselves and i think you have aston and al fatari both looking to sort of step up and take it to alpine and they all for the first time it was really clear to me that i think that's the order right now on track
4: yeah a couple of points with ocon it was really good to see i think he had the measure of alonso all weekend and it was a very strong performance his second race in the railway is putting in quite strong performances um something that could, i'd I hadn't written him off, but he was someone that wasn't wowing me. I wasn't impressed with what I was seeing. The last couple of races, we've actually seen him really grab it by the scruff of the neck and go for it. Uh, my biggest surprise of the weekend in, in, as you mentioned, the pecking order was Alpha Tauri. I think they're going to be incredibly disappointed, particularly after the hype in the preseason and the first race. They're looking really good and promise they've just gone backwards.
2: Fair enough. I, I do just want to pick Matt up on one thing slightly, which is Matt is... Praising Stroll for being the lead driver and fighting for points. Fighting for that point. They they won a race last year. They had podiums last year, Matt. It could well be that their driver lineup is so bad that they can no longer compete where that car should be.
3: No, it's not the driver lineup because we've seen Stroll do that. We've seen other drivers do that. It's the car. And it's the fact that regardless of how much of Mercedes you think they've copied, at the end of the day, it's a brand new platform for them with very difficult regulation changes they've had to manage and they simply do not have the historical knowledge to help them through it the way that Mercedes does.
2: Well, Brad, it's because all low-rate cars are at a massive disadvantage. Oh, except the race-winning car.
5: Yeah, that's been quietly dropped now, hasn't it, by (laughs) Aston? The thing I wanted to say was... Historically, Perez over a season pretty dramatically outperformed Stroll, apart from some anomalies. Are we saying that that wouldn't have been the case this year? I think we would probably see yes, Perez I agree. still outperforming Stroll this year if he had if he'd stayed with the team. So I don't see. I agree. I don't see that lineup showing the full potential of the car, regardless of the praise we just gave Stroll a moment ago.
2: I agree, but that doesn't detract from the fact that Lance Stroll did well today. But we move on to the podium as we play rights-free music and celebrate what has actually been a pretty good Spanish Grand Prix. Normally, uh, I take a big gulp of air before the Barcelona Grand Prix. I think, ah, OK, here we go again, because it is so often paired with the Monaco Grand Prix as well. And I'm not going to have my Monaco Grand Prix rant now. I'm going to save that not even for the Monaco preview. I'm going to do it for some of the the intermittent shows because I think we've got three weeks between now and the Monaco Grand Prix. Two weeks. Okay, that's fine. So what I will do is I will make my Monaco rant far enough away from the race to not ruin it. And when the Monaco Grand Prix comes around, I will, I will enter into the spirit of it and pretend that it's a fine and legitimate F1 Grand Prix weekend. Between now and then, we have stuff that you are going to want to listen to. So we are going to be talking to Matthew Carter. We're going to be talking to Joe Sayward. We're going to try and bring you Matt. Oh, look, Matt, we're making friends in F1. I think we're making we friends in F1, and I think we might even have a, a super treat that people will go, hey, how? Did, why would that guy go on Miss Apex? Because I like tires. No, no. We are not bringing F1 people in just to talk about tyres. However, I think that we have got a, a, a lovely lineup for you between now and the Monaco Grand Prix. I would appreciate before we go to the awards if you would take a second to look in the show notes of your YouTube video or your um, or your podcast app. On um, if you're listening on like Pocket Cast, you swipe right. I believe in Apple, you just scroll down and click more info. I've got an iPhone. Luke Pitts, listener, gave me an iPhone so I could track what it's like to be a missed Apex subscriber on iTunes. But if you look in the show notes, you will see the ways to follow all of the crew. So Brad Philpott, at Brad Philpott on Twitter, and Bradley Philpott on YouTube.
5: Other way around, yeah, at Bradley Philpott on Twitter, and just search for Brad Philpott on YouTube. If you want to see me live streaming, building a
2: simulator tomorrow. (laughs) If you want to see Brad slowly construct an aluminium sim rig... I still feel like you're not selling that as a live stream event.
5: I will have maybe some music in the background. Okay. I'll have an alcoholic yeah. beverage okay. and I'll interact with the chat as I screw little bolts with an Allen key into an aluminium frame. And How which
2: version of Brad do you feel is uh, is, is, is holding back the, the the treadmill of time? Is it Bradley or Brad, which is the cool version?
5: Brad is Brad. certainly the cooler version. Right. Yeah. Okay. Brad. So search
2: Brad Philpott on YouTube. Correct. Search for Kyle Power F1 on Twitter. You get sucked in, and also you're in our Slack group as well, Kyle. You've been chatting to all our patrons too.
4: Yeah, I lurk in Slack. I crop up every now and then. Um, I've been I've been trying to get more involved on the twits. Um, and I am getting there. that's what cool people call it. It's called the twits, isn't it?
2: No, not at all. Uh, cool people go to their hairdressers as well. Like, why are you not? Are you allergic to the barber?
4: Uh, just going bald and trying to give myself the best preparation for a comb over as I possibly can.
2: Oh, I'm in that zone as well. I'm slightly <laughs> receding, but I, if I can just grow it enough to disguise it, I can buy another five years. Oh, exactly. I'm not cutting it off now. I'm getting a head start, mate. So follow Kyle at KylePowerF1. Follow Matt at MattPT55. Yeah. And his wife, why am I telling you to follow Matt's wife? At A Weaver Writes, because she writes books, and you can buy them, and they're great. And they have, like, sexy stuff in them.
3: Yes, buy them for your friends and partners. They will enjoy the stories, and all the juicy bits do.
2: Okay, let's go to the awards. If you're listening after the effect, if you're not uh, listening live, just take a pause, go and sign up, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, support an independent content creator. Tell you what, I'll do you a deal. If you sign up for a month and you feel like you're not getting good value for being a Patreon supporter, then just hang on in there for another few months to see if it's worthwhile. After that, then then bin it off if you must do. But there's a few perks to being a Patreon supporter. Sign up first, then find the perks later. It's time for... The awards. Now, it's a good thing award. We start off with positivity. Brad, who's your good thing of the Barcelona Grand Prix? So actually, this is the one I hadn't thought
5: about prior. So I'm going to just have this one, uh, bring this one to you off the hoof. But thanks for letting me go first. My good thing award is Lewis Hamilton's tyre management. Because again, he's, he's been able to stay with the lead car, despite being in the dirty air and have better tires towards the end of a stint so he can attack and make it exciting for us. So that's my good thing award.
2: Ah, that's pretty good. And it's a pattern we've seen over and over again, Matt. So what's your good thing award?
5: Aside from the helicopter in my
3: background, my good thing award, ah, uh, jeez. Oh, ah, oh, jeez. you know, I had it. I was going to go with Pirelli because they've finally given us a tire that can run in dirty air without degrading. <laughs> And I think that is just appropriate because they have taken so much stick for doing everything that Formula One has asked them to do with the tyres. Yeah, And they always get blamed. So I, I really kind
2: of want to give it Can I stop them. there for a second and, and go to Brad? Brad, why could Lewis Hamilton follow in Dirty Air today? And why was he asking for one wing less at the pit stop?
5: Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. I didn't realise until you guys pointed it out that he'd asked for a reduction in front wing at the pit stop because ordinarily... To follow another car in the dirty air, you would actually want to increase the front wing angle, but he wanted less. And what it seems like is his right rear is the tyre he was struggling with. So, you know, oversteer in left-handers. And so reducing the front wing would allow him to carry a bit more speed through left-handers with a more neutral balance. And he wouldn't then overwork the right right rear. So that, I believe, is why he asked for that. Um, but I don't know why he could follow closely aside from the Mercedes just
2: being a great car and Lewis being a great driver. But but they always say, Brad, that the Mercedes is not set up for following in traffic.
5: Maybe it is this year. Maybe they're, they're kind of coming around to a slightly different philosophy because they know they're not just streets ahead of the next team. At which I will briefly interject that we have changed
3: tyre construction and tyre shape, especially of the front tyres. And I believe that is playing a role... In this renaissance of chasing and overtaking that
4: we've seen this season. Also, to add in, I think Lewis's surprising one, one click out of the front wing at a pit stop could been born out of um, he mentioned it in qualifying that he'd made a call on the setup, which is the wrong way, and he was really suffering with understeer a lot. So he'd obviously done a lot of the small adjustments. He'll be adjusting the diff, and they could maybe make some small front wing tweaks. That is one of the things you can change in park ferme conditions. So he maybe started with a more oversteer balance. And you could actually visibly see this when he mm. was um originally attacking the and in the first stint. It was one of Lewis's onboards going into turn one when he had the DRS, and he had a massive rear snap. Well, not massive, he goes, um, for when you're used to it in the sim, you see it and you think, oh, that's massive. But you can see it on the camera, he actually was actually losing the rear. So maybe the Mercedes, the way it was set up, was causing a strange, they were suffering from oversteer in a dirtier rather than understeer. It is unusual, but I think this may have been born out of his changes he made on
2: Saturday. All right, Kyle. Kyle, you do go on. Jeez, who's your thing of the weekend award? Oh, my thing of the weekend. Does it have to be a person or can it be a no, thing? No, it can be a concept. It, can be, it could be love. It could be an experience. It, 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 yeah, it could be an experience. It could be a political point of view. It could even be the best sock. It's up to you. Cool. So um, my one's going to be a
4: little bit lame and a bit different, but my thing of the weekend was Formula One 2021 delivering another spectacularly good and intriguing race on the weekend where I genuinely thought we were going to have a processional boring race around Barcelona and we got anything but. So that is my thing of the weekend 2021 delivers yet again.
2: That's so lame, Kyle. I know what you were going for. You were trying to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to do a thing like from the heart as a big F1 fan, like a whole holistic thing, but it just came off. It didn't come off. It didn't land for me. So oh, sorry. sorry.
4: Well, okay. Well, I'm going to make myself a
2: concept for next time. <laughs> I'll change everyone's views on everything. Fair enough. Who made the call to pit Lewis Hamilton for the second pit stop? Do we know the individual who did that, Matt?
3: James Vowles. He's thing of the weekend. strategist for Mercedes.
2: Okay, James Vowles. Thing of the weekend. That's. I mean that that, that was the call, wasn't it?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and not a call we're used to seeing from
2: Mercedes. No, I like it. It was proactive. That's my thing of the week. Now, aside from all that positivity and humility as F1 fans appreciating the magnificence of these athletes and engineers, we're now going to go super negative, right? We're going to go super negative like a lot of the uh, the bigger F1 social media sites. And we're going to do this award.
5: Oh, no, you missed the apex. Where
2: we judge people from our sofas. Kyle, who are you judging from your sofa and who are you going to award the Missed Apex Award?
4: Um, I can only award this to the easy one, and that is Nikita Mazepin, I'm afraid. That is my his missed most apexes, apart from when the leader's behind him. He manages to get those apexes somehow. Did he beat M- Mick Schumacher this weekend? Uh, no. Right. And props to Mick. He was up in 16th running in that first in, keeping cars behind him, and he outqualified Williams.
2: I, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Excellent. Okay, uh, Brad, who missed the Apex for you? So this is kind of a
5: borderline missed Apex, but also Pony. But I've got plenty of Pony, so I can kind of use Sweet. this one up. No worries. The person who missed my missed the Apex for me was Bottas, Trying to make some kind of statement about how I don't—I'm yeah. not here just to let people through, whilst being yeah. an entire pit stop behind the people who are actually fighting for the lead. Did so you see
2: the, the? Did you see the pen interviews with Bottas? He, he tried yeah. to kind of laugh it off, and like if you're going to make that kind of statement, say it straight, say it dead on. Do the Kimi Raikkonen thing. I am not here to let people through. I am here to race. I am doing my own race. But he—he he tried to kind of laugh it off. He tried to make it like a bantery thing and you could tell there was like a nervous energy about it. He knew, he knew what he was doing and then he knew how it looked.
5: It's perfectly legitimate to battle someone who might be on a different strategy to you when you're going for the race win or if you're in a different team. But when it's your teammate that is going for the race win and they're just miles ahead in the general race terms, in terms of the strategy... It just looks silly, and, and I thought he looked silly, so that's my uh,
2: that's my missed Apex award. Excellent. Matt, two rumpets. Who missed the Apex for you? Well,
3: not so much the Apex, but the grid spot. Pierre Gasman, oh, no, making the kind of mistake that you don't really expect from a blooded veteran. He's a veteran. Rolls over his pit stop far enough that the FAA said, oh, no. yo, wait a minute. That's going to be five seconds at your first pit stop. Now go on, ask me, how many seconds behind Ocon did he finish? Is for it less place? than
2: five seconds?
3: 0. 0.19 seconds behind Alcon at
5: the checkers. Yes, indeed. Gasly was really gutted about that. But I mean, can I just, in defense of drivers doing that, can I just say it is so hard even to see those yellow lines and... I'm surprised that mistake doesn't happen more often because it is really difficult to see anything which isn't in the distance when you're in a single seat.
2: Kyle, is your riposte that they're paid a billion pounds a second?
4: No, I was going to back them up and saying probably as they're rolling into their grid slot, they're probably having to make a whole plethora of changes on the steering wheel and all sorts of things. So it's probably trying to run through an awful lot of things. And you can see the cars that pull up at the back of the grid generally have a very busy time getting done in mm. time, ready for the lights to come on. And he was quite far down the grid. say so he's probably just slightly, he's been changing something on steering wheel and just simply made a slight mistake. Keller
2: did it a couple of times. Mm. Okay, Kyle, I just want to check. Do you actually know what plethora means? I probably used the wrong word. No, I just, I just, I would hate it if you used yeah. the word plethora and did not understand fully what the word plethora meant.
4: Many, many, many... Many, many things. Okay. A lot uh, of things.
2: Matt, are we okay? Are we, we're in dangerous territory here, but are we okay?
4: Yeah, I think we're okay.
3: Do we have time for a brief personal anecdote about such things and drivers? Okay. One of the worst things that ever happened to me was covering my first Formula E race. It was the last race of the season, and Andre Lauderer in the last final race got a jump start. And me knowing just enough about Formula One to know that the start is very complicated, I went up to him and I said, Well, geez, you know, it was a jump start, but, but, you know, tell me about the starting procedure. And he goes, He's very simple. I'm like, but there's like, he's like, No, you just push button and go. And I was like, Oh, I felt so bad for <laughs> tell me. that." I was hoping it would be like, Oh, yeah, well, I had nine billion things to do and I just forgot to do the nine hundred ninety nine hundred nine millionth thing. And then it all went wrong for me. He's like, no, it's really simple. I just stepped on the gas early.
2: One more award. No, there's two. I haven't forgotten the other one. One more award. It's the Pony Award. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Okay, Brad, you go first.
5: Um, so, for allowing me to go first, you've let me have the obvious one, which is Sonoda uh, <laughs> implying or, or uh, just stating outright that he uh. had a different car, or he suspected that there was something different about the cars between him and Gasly, because his feedback is always the opposite of Gasly's, and and he's not seemingly as fast mm. at the moment. So
2: that's a pretty obvious pony. There's definitely something going on with the Sonoda relationship with Alpha Tauri. I, I don't know if Alpha Tauri uh unhappy with him being there, whether he was forced. Uh, to be there or whether Yuki Tsunoda has management that is in his ear telling him that he's entitled to more any other pony awards no I th- well Kyle go on then well
4: Bottas a little bit really for, that's fair f-
2: for having his well I'm
4: racing for myself and what not yeah
2: fair enough that will do ok Matt then I think the last award of the night is comment of the week comment of the week This is where we reward our fantastic chat room and I will say to the live chat and I'm sorry if any of the the non-live people listening to this feel left out but the live chat do keep us company Matt don't they it, it, if you remember back to the early days we were just talking to ourselves but now looking at the uh, looking at the figures we've been talking to nearly 4000 people throughout the course of this race review
3: yeah, they keep us company, they keep us honest, and on occasion, they even give us things to talk about that matter to the show in general. Well, so, we should yes. give them an award. And we will. Okay. And we shall call it Comment of the Week. Oh, wait. Conversation of the Week. You no, like that
2: one better, don't you? I don't. I'm going to stick with my one, and I'm going to insist on only 74 candidates for Comment of the Week.
3: Fair enough, we shall start with Bruce Sigal. Turns out tires are better when inflated. Yes! Regarding the...
2: That's nearly like the only thing that tires need to be. And then we go to Darren
3: Jackson. Despite all of the good tapas, Red Bull gets Hungary in Spain.
2: Okay, I I don't have the time to check if that's racially insensitive or not, so we'll, we might have to skip past that.
3: Um, We will move on to Anakat. Toto, we don't change drivers mid-season. Valtteri, hold my milk. Oh,
2: hold my, hold my sauna juice.
3: And we have, I believe, two more to go. Michael Diestelhoff, Yuki is doing some ghastly lighting.
2: Pun. No, can't do it.
3: Im Perez just has a lot of pressure on his shoulder.
2: Because he had an injury which completely exonerates him from any kind of Qualifying misdeeds or underperformance. Excellent.
3: And we will finish with Mr. AJ Scotty. Newey builds cars for AI. Meat-based drivers are an inconvenience.
2: Nice. You, I think it is possible that Adrian Newey does not acknowledge drivers' contribution at all. Who's the winner of Comment of the Week, Matt? I do believe the winner will have to be
3: Anaket. Toto, we don't change drivers mid-season. Valtteri, hold my milk. Comment of the Week.
2: Thank you very much for tuning into Mist Apex podcast. It's a couple of weeks until the Monaco Grand Prix. We've got some great stuff lined up for you between now and then. We have a great pre-recorded new show. We're going to talk about some of the greatest uh, teammate battles of yesteryear we also are going to have an interview with Matthew Carter we'll try and get Joe Sayward here as well and you can check out the written work that Mist Apex has been trying to put out by going to mystapex.net until we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was Myst Apex podcast yep and look at, can we just take a minute to just mock Brads? Like, look at him, look at him in the background with his helmets hanging. You've literally got your helmets hanging on the wall. I've got one of them hanging on
5: the wall <laughs> on, on the VR hook because that's uh, where the simulator is supposed to be uh, and will, will again be tomorrow, hopefully. Okay. So I put that there to cover an unsightly hook that's on the wall. The helmets live on the helmet shelf over in front of the computer. Would
2: you feel more comfortable if we were to mock Kyle for all those trophies to his right hand side? Thank